Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you've ever given or received gifts, you know that some gifts are meant to be more than nice things to look at. They're meant to be used. They're, they're meant to be worked out. You think of children, maybe Lego. Maybe you sometimes received a Lego for your birthday or some other occasion. Well, when you get Lego, what do you do with it? You don't keep it in a box, do you? No, you, you open the box and you, you rip open the bags and, and you start to build with it. You, you build maybe a car or a castle or, or something else. That, that's what you're supposed to do with it. You would never think of, of Lego as a gift that's just meant to be kept in the box on a shelf somewhere to look nice. You would never think of Lego as something to be just put in a container and, and never worked out. You wouldn't do that. But, but what about the greatest gift of all? What about the gift of salvation? Is the gift of salvation meant to just sit, as it were, in a box on a shelf in our hearts somewhere? We can be tempted to think of it that way, can't we? There are many people, there are many people, including even confessing Christians, who do think that way. They think that the only thing that matters is that at some point in their life they got saved. They accepted Jesus into their hearts, and that's all that matters. How they live today, that's, that's not so important. This is all over, really, in, in, in much of contemporary Christianity. You listen to all the questions and all the debates today about I, the issue of identity. It's all related to this. And, and perhaps you, you yourself think that way. Or perhaps, perhaps not. Perhaps you think that how you live does matter. But it seems too difficult. Take the call to radical, Christ-like humility and self-denial that we looked at in the past couple of weeks in the first part of Philippians 2. Maybe you've tried. But maybe you feel like you're always just playing sort of this, this game of whack-a-mole. Pride and, and self-centeredness, they just keep raising their ugly heads in your heart and life. And, and maybe you're here this morning as a Christian and you're discouraged. Maybe even just plain weary. It feels hopeless. And maybe you're tempted to give up or at least not be so concerned about how you live. Or perhaps change seems too costly. You're afraid of what you'll lose. I watched a documentary recently which told the story about a, a woman whom, whom God converted. And she actually grew up in, a, in the church, at least. And, but she had... She had identified as a transgender for nine years. She had had surgeries. She had had hormone treatments. But then God saved her. And she told how in this documentary, she told how after she was saved, as she prayed and as she read her Bible, God began to convict her that, what, that, that, that she needed to give up that life. She had been forgiven, but now she was being convicted to, that she had to give up that life, that she had to give up her male identity that she had assumed, that she needed to leave the partner she was living with, and really, in a sense, her whole life. And she talked about, it was, it was moving, she talked about how hard that was, about how devastating, how painful it was. But she also talked about how the Lord helped her, also through other Christians. But, 
But my point is with that, that being saved doesn't make leaving behind the old life, the old ways, easy. It hurts. It's costly. It's hard. And so it can be very tempting in all kinds of ways to think that maybe we can just leave the gift of salvation on a shelf in our hearts. It was tempting for the Philippian Christians that Paul was writing to. They were struggling with unity, as we've heard about in the past couple of weeks. And, and, and Paul's been addressing this issue here in Philippians 2. He's called them to radical humility and self-denial for one another. He's called them to, to have the mindset of Christ, who though he was God, humbled himself to be made in the likeness of men and, 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 and to die on the cross for the salvation of sinners. But that's hard. And Paul knows that. He knows how hard this is. He knows how tempting it is, how much easier it would be if we could just leave the gift of salvation in a box, on a shelf, somewhere in our hearts. But he also knows that's not the kind of gift salvation is. And so in love, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, with this beautiful blend of tenderness and firmness, he puts his arm around his Philippian brothers and sisters, as it were. And he encourages them. And he encourages us too now in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, our text for this morning. And he says, Wherefore, my beloved, he says, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What our text is teaching us, congregation, is that salvation is meant to be more than something nice to look at. If we have received the gift of salvation, we cannot, we may not just keep it in a box on a shelf in our hearts. We must work it out in our lives. That's what our text is calling us and commanding us and encouraging us to do. So with God's help, we want to consider this, this passage, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, under the theme, working out your own salvation, our own salvation. We'll see, first of all, the command to work it out. Secondly, the way to work it out. And thirdly, the power to work it out. So first of all, let's look at the command to work our own salvation out. In verse 12, Paul writes, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, work out your own salvation. Our text here is obviously issuing a call. It's issuing a command. Work out your own salvation. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's, it's an obligation. And the phrase, as you have always obeyed, actually emphasizes that. Working out your own salvation and obeying are basically two ways of saying the same thing. Just like you've always obeyed, Paul's saying, continue to obey by working out your own salvation. The point is that working out our own salvation is not optional. It's a command. And, and our text points out at least three things about this command to work out our own salvation. Three things that are important for us to understand and obey this command rightly. The first thing to consider from this text is the exact meaning of this command. What exactly does it mean? What does Paul mean here when he says, work out your own salvation? Maybe when you read that, you're a little confused because you know maybe that the Bible very clearly teaches that salvation is not by works. It's by grace. 
by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And maybe it seems that, that this text is contradicting that. But, but is it? What does it say? Pay attention to the command. It says, work out your own salvation. Not work for your salvation. Not work salvation in yourselves. Work out your own salvation. The salvation you already possess is what Paul is saying. In other words, Paul's speaking here about sanctification, beloved. He's saying if you have been saved, if you have received the gift of salvation from God by grace through faith in Christ, then do something with it. You must work that gift of salvation out in your own life. Show that you re receive salvation by, by letting your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what the command to work out your own salvation means. It means that you cultivate and you nurture your salvation so that it bears fruit in your life. Just like we, 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 we cultivate, we nurture a garden or, or our fields as farmers. Some of you farmers are are busy harvesting or you're about to and you, you sowed seeds in the ground in the spring but, but how did those crops grow? Well, by your caring for them, right? By your watering them, by your fertilizing them. Maybe you did weed control and pest control. All these things. That's what Paul is saying we must do with our salvation when we have been saved. We must cultivate it. We must care for it so that it bears fruit in our life. We must water it. We must fertilize it by being in God's word, by prayerfully listening to and obeying what it says, by, by rightly using the sacraments, by spiritual fellowship with other believers. We must do we control, be, be repenting of our sins, rooting out our sins. That is what it means to work out our own salvation. That also means, congregation, that the only people who are able to obey this command, the command to work out our own salvation, are people who are already saved. And that raises the very important question this morning. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you? If you're here this morning, and you don't have salvation, if you haven't been converted, if you haven't turned away from yourself and looked to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith for your salvation, you cannot obey this command because you do not have any salvation to work out. That doesn't mean that you can just sit back and tune out now. No, it means that you need to repent. It means that you need to repent of your unbelief and you need to believe. You need to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by coming to church. It's not by being baptized. It's not even by making confession of faith. No, it's by true faith in Jesus Christ. And so I ask you again, are you saved? If you are not, if you are not, do you realize what that is? To not be saved. It is to be under the holy and righteous wrath of God. It is to be under his condemnation. So that if you died at this moment, you would go to hell. 
do that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And and when you are saved, then you begin to work out your own salvation. That's what we must do if we are saved. We must work it out. We must cultivate it and nurture it. We must demonstrate our salvation by living in obedience to God. Dear Christian, is that what you're doing? That's what God's command to work out our own salvation means. But maybe you're thinking, well, isn't that legalism? Isn't that legalism? No, it's not. It's not. You see, our text doesn't just tell us the exact meaning of this command. It also points out its gospel foundation. The very first word, did you notice it? Wherefore? You could also translate it, for this reason, or so then. For what reason? Well, We need to look back, don't we? What's the basis? What's the foundation for the command to work out our own salvation? And if you look back, especially at verses 5 through 11, what are they all about? They're all about what Christ has done for the salvation of sinners. Although He was God, He made Himself of no reputation by taking on the form of a servant, by being made in the likeness of men. They're about how He humbled Himself by becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. They're about how God then exalted him as Lord over all and how one day everyone will confess it. That's why, because of what Jesus Christ has done in humble, selfless love to sinners and in obedience to God as our Savior. Because he now is Lord and because he calls you to follow him, that's why we must work out our own salvation. Working out our own salvation congregation is not legalism. Legalism says obey God in order to be saved or in order to stay saved. But the gospel says to the believer, obey God because you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Obey God because Christ himself obeyed, even he obeyed God, even unto death for your salvation. Work out your own salvation then. Because that's what God, by grace, has saved you for. Working out our own salvation is not legalism, congregation. Obedience to God is not legalism in and of itself. The question is, why are we obeying? And here, here, this is gospel obedience. It's the only right response to work out our salvation is the only right response to being saved by grace, by the gospel of God. But maybe you say it's, it's so hard. And yes, it is. But that's why it's so beautiful, isn't it? That, 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 our, that our text doesn't only show us the exact meaning and the gospel foundation of this command, but it also comes with tender encouragement. You know, Paul doesn't just say, wherefore, work out your own salvation. No, he tenderly encourages them. Wherefore, my beloved, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation. He addresses them as his beloved, and he speaks of them as having always obeyed, not to flatter them, not to make them proud, but to encourage them. He knows they weren't perfect, otherwise he wouldn't have had to talk about humility and self-denial. But by God's grace, they had been consistently obedient to the gospel and and to the word of God, even when it was hard. And Paul recognizes that. He acknowledges that. 
the reality in order to encourage them to, to, to keep going in that way, no matter how hard it gets. As a humble bondservant of Jesus Christ, who is himself in prison for the sake of the gospel at this time, who himself knows how hard obedience is. He, puts, he comes alongside them, as it were, and he puts his arm around them. And he says, keep going, keep going, my beloved. Keep going, my dear brothers, my dear sisters, press on. Don't give up obeying God. Don't give up working out your own salvation. Maybe you're here this morning and you need, you need that kind of encouragement. Maybe you're here and you're tempted to give up. Maybe you've been consistently obedient to the gospel, maybe even for many years. You know you haven't been perfect. But by grace, you've been consistent. Your life shows it. By grace, you, you, you've sought to live according, in, in, in a manner worthy of the gospel. But, but maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you're just tired. You've run the race for so long and you just want to coast. You just, you just want to relax for a bit. Maybe you're discouraged. You wonder if God even notices. Well, then hear not only Paul in our text, but, but ultimately Christ himself, who was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, coming alongside you, encouraging you. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation. But maybe you say, how are we to do this? How are we to work out our own salvation? Well, that brings us to our second point. Our, our text does not merely command us to work out our own salvation. It tells us the way to work it out. Look at verse 12 again. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is that telling us? It's telling us, congregation, that not only we must work out our salvation in our lives, but that we are to work it out both consistently and soberly. In the first place, we must work it out consistently. In the original, work out your own salvation means not, it's not a one-time thing. It's not an occasional thing here and there, but it's continual. It's persevering. You could translate it as keep working out your own salvation. In other words, it's something we're to be consistently doing. We're to work out our salvation all day, every day. Not just on the Lord's day, but every day. At home, at work, at school, on the road, on the computer, or on the phone. At lunch. At the end of the day, when we come home tired and frustrated because we didn't get as much done as we wanted to, or things didn't go so well at work, on a business trip, on Friday nights, on every night, with our family, with our friends, wherever and whenever, we're called to be continually obeying God, continually working out our own salvation. And Paul emphasizes that by saying to the Philippians, not only as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. 
Remember Paul's concern here. He's, he's, he's concerned about the disunity that's threatening to divide the Philippian Christians. He knows they're struggling. And he knows that in the middle of a spiritual struggle, it's easier to live in obedience to God when you have someone right there with you to, to encourage you, to, to, to almost physically, in a sense, to put their arm around you, to pray with you. But he can't do that. If you think back, children, to the example of the gift of Lego we talked about at the beginning, you know, maybe, you've been, maybe you have some Lego at home and you have some sets, maybe some big sets that you would like to build once in a while, but, but when your Lego is all mixed together, it's, it, it can be hard to be diligent at building that set, can't it? You, you might start out with enthusiasm at first, I'm going to build this, this castle, I'm going I'm to build it, but, but, but the Lego is all over the place and as you try and work at it, maybe, maybe you get your mom and dad to help you for a little bit, but then they get busy, they have to go do their own things, and, and you're all by yourself, and, and you're tempted to give up. Or, or, or think about how difficult it is to, to, to keep a routine of physically working out. That's how it can be with working out our own salvation. We can be tempted to give up, especially when we're all by ourselves. But our text urges us and warns us not to give in to that temptation but to be all the more zealous in obeying God and living for God and His glory and working out our own salvation, even when it's hard. We are to work out our own salvation. We are to live in obedience to God continually and consistently. Not just when the pastor or the elders or our parents or our spouse are around. Not just when we're around other Christians. Not just when we're sitting with fellow believers in the living room. Not just when we're having a Bible study. But at all times. Young people. You're to work out. If you are saved, you're to work out your own salvation. When you're with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or when you're by yourself in the bedroom. Or when we're on vacation. What should we be doing? We should be working out our own salvation. One of my seminary professors told us how one member of his congregation reminded him once when he was just about to go on vacation, he said to him, remember, you're always a pastor, even on vacation. And the point this member was getting at was not that a pastor should never get a break from his regular pastoral duties, but but that he should always conduct himself as a Christian pastor, as a minister of the gospel. And you see it the same way when we are Christians. We need to remember that if we are Christians, we are always Christians, even when we're on vacation. In other words, we should always conduct ourselves as Christians, as people united to Christ. We should always live in obedience to God for His glory, also on our vacations, whether those vacations are close by or far away. That's what God is calling us to do in our text. We're to live in obedience to God for the glory of God continually, consistently, all our life long. And we're to work it out soberly. Soberly. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That means with great fear. Not with terror, not with despair, but with great reverence, with great awe, with great seriousness, with great humility. 
In other words, working out our own salvation, congregation, living in obedience, faithful obedience to God and His gospel is not something we can be casual about or flippant about or half-hearted about. We're not to do it with a kind of, I've got this attitude. No. Yes, our ultimate victory is guaranteed when you are a believer because of Christ, because of what He did on the cross and because of where He is now. He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's Lord and He's won the war. And he will not lose a single one of those who are his. But the right response to that is not carelessness or flippancy. The right response to that is to bow the knee. The right response is to do what it says in Psalm 2 verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The right response is to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Recognizing the weakness that is in ourselves, the complete weakness, and the strength of the enemies that we face, the flesh, the world, and the devil. You know, the book of Hebrews reminds us that many of the Israelites whom God delivered out of Egypt, they, they hardened their hearts and they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And it warns us, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into God's rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. We need to fight the good fight of faith. God calls us in our text to work out, to work out our own salvation soberly and consistently. That's what we are to be doing as Christians, congregation. How well are you doing in that? How well am I doing in that? Just, just take a look. Take a moment to think back on, on this past week. What did you do with the gift of salvation that you have received? What did you do with it? Did you leave it on a shelf somewhere in your heart? Or were you working it out? Were you living in obedience to God? consistently, soberly, with fear and trembling. Oh, thank God, congregation. Thank God there is forgiveness for our sins and for our failures through the blood which Christ shed on the cross. Also for our failures here to work out our own salvation the way we're supposed to. But His forgiveness, don't use it as an excuse to, to give up working out your own salvation. But... But use that forgiveness to motivate you to be more zealous, more diligent to work it out and to do it more consistently and more soberly. But maybe you're thinking, Pastor, wait a minute. How in the world can I do this? Don't you know how hard it is? Don't you know I'm still a sinner? I don't have what it takes. Well, you're right. You don't have what it takes. None of us have what it has what it takes to work out our own salvation consistently and soberly in and of ourselves. But God does. God does. And that brings us to our third point. We've looked at the command to work out our own salvation and the way to work it out. But now thirdly, let's look at the power to work it out. Look at the text again. Paul calls us 
to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And if he had stopped there, he would have left us hopeless and helpless because we don't have what it takes. But he doesn't stop there, praise God. In verse 13, he says, For it is God which works in you, both to will and to do for his, of his good pleasure. That's what makes you able to work out your own salvation. If you are a Christian, if you are a sinner looking to Christ in faith for salvation, the power to work it out is in the fact that God is working in you and that he is working in you both to will, the willing and the doing, for his good pleasure. That's what our text is saying. Let me just unpack that. Let's try to unpack that for, for a moment. The, the power to work out your own salvation is, first of all, in the fact that God is working in you. Isn't that so encouraging to know? Isn't that so encouraging to know? God is working in me. You know, so often, sometimes we think that salvation is just a matter of God forgiving us. And then saying to us, well, now, now you better go obey. But that's not what God does, you see. He doesn't just forgive us and then leave us to work out our own salvation in our own strength. No, he not only forgives us, he not only calls us to holiness, but he comes to dwell in us by his Holy Spirit to work in us, to enable us, to empower us to do what he calls us to do, to work out our own salvation. That's what God is saying here in our text. Left to ourselves, we could do nothing. We could we'd be like that, that, that lame man that Jesus came to and told him to take up his bed and walk, we wouldn't be able to do it. We had no power. But because there is power, the power of God working in us, we can have the power to work out our salvation. Do you see what a wonderful Savior God he is, congregation? He doesn't just command, but he grants what he commands by coming to dwell in us and by working in us. And not just once, but, but continually. Notice what the text says. It doesn't say, for it is God who has worked in you. It says, for it is God who works, who is working in you. He doesn't stop. Praise God for that. He keeps working. And he won't stop until the day of Jesus Christ. Remember what Philippians 1 verse 6 tells us. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it. Until the day of Jesus Christ, he will bring his good work of salvation to completion. Oh, if you're a believer here this morning, doesn't that give you encouragement to work it out? Think of some of the sins in your heart and life. Maybe it's a sin like the ones mentioned earlier in this chapter, the sin of strife, the sin of self-seeking. The, 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 the sin of vainglory, of pride. Maybe it's a lack of humility, a lack of self-denial. Maybe it's anger, or maybe it's lust, or maybe it's laziness, or maybe it's not being forgiving, not being willing to forgive a brother or sister. God calls us to turn away from those sins and to put them to death. He calls us to follow Him in the paths of righteousness. But how can you do that? If you know yourself at all, you know you can't do it. You have no power in yourself to put your sins to death. But this is the gospel. This is the wonderful thing, the encouraging thing. There is one who is working in you. You know, before you were saved, there was one who was working in you too. It was the spirit who works now in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2. But when you are saved, then there's not just, that, that spirit doesn't just go. But the Holy Spirit comes in. He comes in. 
If the one who is working in you is God, the almighty God who created the universe, he's working in you by his power, the power with which which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand. Now that's encouraging. It should be. It should be. That's what makes you, that's what makes me not throw up my hands in despair. That's what gives us energy to deny ourselves again to live in in, in humility again before others, to love others, to serve others. That's what gives you confidence to stand firm when the temptations come. Yes, even that's what gives you hope when you have deeply fallen, when you have slidden back, when you have given in to sin so that you don't stay there. But like David in Psalm 51, you come back to God in humble confession and repentance and faith in Christ and you ask Him, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercy, blot out my transgressions. And you ask him to forgive you and to take not his spirit from you, but to renew in you a steadfast spirit to help you to be even more diligent and to be more diligent than ever in the way of holiness. God working in us. That's where the power to work out our own salvation comes from comes from his working in us both to will, not not just one or the other, you see, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see, that's, that's so encouraging. It's so humbling, yes, and it's so beautiful. You think of Paul in Romans 7, speaking of his struggle against sin. The good that I will to do, I, I, I don't do that. God has given him that will to do good, but he's he's struggling. And then here, what's what's the answer? Is to seek Christ, to depend on God in Christ. Lord, help me to do, give me the will to do, and help me to do your commands. He works in us both the willing and the doing for his good pleasure. Any good that is in us, dear fellow believers, it's not of us, you see. It's all of God. The willing to do good, to obey, the desiring it is from Him. And the actual doing good, the power, the working of good, the, the obedience is also from Him. It's all from God. All for His good pleasure. That He might receive all the praise and glory. And that's why, congregation, if we have received the gift of salvation, we can and we must work it out with fear and trembling. It's not something we do by ourselves in our own strength. But it's also not something that God does for you so that you don't have to do anything. No, it's not either or. Working out our salvation, our own salvation, is something we can and we must do if we are saved because God is working in us. So don't leave your salvation on a shelf in your heart somewhere. Work it out. Work it out in your home. Work it out in your relationships with your spouse and with your children. Work it out at your workplaces in the midst of all the stress. Work it out at school. Work it out in the church in your relationships in our relationships with each other. Work it out with fear and trembling. Yes, also when it's hard, also when it hurts, also when it maybe feels like losing your life. Maybe, maybe for someone here, working out your own salvation means 
not pursuing that relationship or ending a relationship. Or, or, or maybe it means working to restore our relationship. It's hard. It's painful. It's humbling. But don't give up. Work out your own salvation. Work it out on your knees before God, depending on and relying on Him. Work out your own salvation. That's God's call to believers this morning. Will you do that? Will we do that? If we refuse, if you don't, then no matter what you may claim, then don't you need to ask yourself whether you really have received the gift of salvation? Don't you need to ask yourself then whether you really are a Christian, whether God is really the one working in you? you're not a Christian, if you don't have the gift of salvation at this moment, I plead with you as an ambassador of Christ, don't stay that way, but be reconciled to God, be reconciled to Him by faith in Jesus Christ. Let this text convict you of your need for salvation so that you cry out with that Philippian jailer way back when Paul came for the first time to Philippi. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then listen to and heed the answer, Paul and Silas's answer, the answer of God to that call, to that cry. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then go and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, in reliance upon God. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Amen.